he's, he came here from India. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. We had him on the podcast and then he he's into film and stuff. And he wanted oh. to go with the industry in Toronto. Yeah. So that's what he did. And he works out in Converse too. I, I used to work out in um, like Brooks running shoes. Okay. And I found my balance is horrible horrible in them yeah uh so i'd constantly be kind of like oh because they're so <laughs> their heel is so big right it's so yeah fluffy and foamy yeah. yeah yeah converse is like close contact yeah so i get to not fall over and make a total fool of myself at the gyms which is yeah, that's good it's kind of a benefit yeah <laughs> yeah bovardi always feels like a spa day right you walk in there's like you can smell the the poolside and their staff, oh man, their staff are just so lovely. It's good. Nice. I can never say enough about their staff. They're just so kind. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I used to go there when years ago when we had our first one. And Lisa was off for a year. I sneak out of the house at 4.30 and then I'd be there by 6, 5.30, 5. But I needed like half an hour to get there because we used to live in the country. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then I did that for a year and then, you know, eventually... Time management-wise, it was more efficient for me to have it available where I am and then to go to a location, even though I really like that. Yeah. I, I couldn't do it anymore. It It is dedication. It's mm -hmm. definitely... It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen so many Northern Lights. <laughs> Otherwise, I would have not seen because you get up so early. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we, had, we had the runner on too, Zimak. He he trains at Movari too, and he told me the story because he runs so fast. They changed the treadmill max speed from twelve miles per hour to fourteen miles an hour. Really? For two only, because he like he needs sometimes he does like intervals. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. He used to do that, and then they changed it for him. So really, they they are doing good. And congratulations on your um, personal best. Thank you. I think I'm always amazed by people like what they're able to do at the gym like if i ever hit 14 per hour it's by mistake and i'll go shooting off the machine like a rocket yeah. like it'll <laughs> you go through the window yeah <laughs> it'll be a shameful show for sure but <laughs> yeah sometimes you know you press a certain button on the trap mill you didn't want to press it and it just happens just like intervals and then you were running constantly and that changes everything changes up in any case, today we have a very special guest here with us. Alexandria, you are here and I'm very honored. Thank you for being here tonight. We are going to introduce you shortly. Let's just give it up to the to the sponsors today. We are presenting to you tonight. They are presenting the show to you tonight. It's www.quickrate.ca. That's Young's Insurance Brokers, Inc. in Thunder Bay, 344-9. You can call them right now. Get your second opinion on your insurance right here locally. Also, this episode of the podcast brought to you by Raphael's Tailoring, 905 Tungsten Street, high-end tailoring and retail store, Tuesday, Friday, 9.34.30, Saturday, 9.24. And he has a retail store and he does all the tailoring you need to get done. And he also outfitted us out today, at least myself. More? did you get outfitted by Raphael today? Not today. Okay, next time. Oh, this is episode of the podcast brought to you by Eat Local Pizza. Call now 767-0000 and get your pizza fix at Eat Local Pizza. That's 801 Red River Road, 767-0000. And yes, they have sold over 6,000 frozen pizzas in Thunder Bay. They have actually a frozen pizza factory. They built that during the pandemic. 
I heard about that. It's so good. It's crazy. Like, Your pierogi pizza, I can never say enough. Like if I could ship it to my family out west in southern Ontario, I would. Yeah. Yeah. That might, yeah. Yeah. Do they do like frozen shipping? I have no idea. Yeah, I don't know either. But that's that's a possibility. Maybe you just like you just you do it like a frisbee and you throw it to southern Ontario. It just flies. They would appreciate that. There you go. <laughs> All right, let's go. Very special episode tonight, Alexandria Shaw. Thank you for being here tonight. It's an honor. You Thank know, you. you got recommended to be on the show, and um, I reached out to you, and you said, "Yeah, let's do it." And that's, that's pretty much it, right? I think that's how it worked out. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so thankful to be here tonight and and get my story out there, and hopefully, it helps helps somebody who's watching tonight or mm-hmm. a family member of somebody who's going through something. So. Yes, Regan. You know, he hit me up and said, hey, I have a very good person, you know, that has a very interesting story to be talked about. And, you know, that's you. <laughs> <laughs> like how I phrased that? Here you I s- am. You said I can say anything today. Absolutely anything. Yeah. So I, uh, we, you told me, you asked me if I need anything and I said, no, I'm okay. And then I look at your profile, and the one thing I looked at, you did a podcast recently, right? I in did. Tor- in Toronto? Yeah. Was that your first podcast? No, I started um, back in November 2021. Okay. Yeah. Wow. You did. You do a podcast too, or no, or just guests? I'm just a guest right now. That's good. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I actually met up with Toronto Police through uh, my work through Victim Services when I used to work for them. And uh, I was so intrigued by everything that they do um, and I was helping victims um, between northern Ontario and southern Ontario of uh, various crimes but I ended up getting connected with their drugs and gangs unit uh, for a project called Engage 416 yes and they their primary focus is to educate the public on uh, gang subculture and and providing resources on how to extricate and educating youth yes um and they brought me on board. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's really good. Yeah. Do you feel comfortable doing this? I do. Okay. I do. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, the in the age we live in now, certain positions in the front line, you know, you, you see a lot of things. A lot of things get thrown at you. And then sometimes you are also a target, right? Yeah. It's very tricky and you know, I have huge respect for everybody who puts themselves out there. Ah, well thank you. Um it's a job. <laughs> yeah. It's it's more than a job, I think, you know. You did you say it's a job? It's a job. Okay. It it just to put yourself out there is it's mm. it's everything to me and it's my heart. Yeah, that's um but to say there isn't uh when you ask if I'm, I feel comfortable doing it, yes. Okay. But there's days where you have to work for that yeah. too. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Let's dive a little bit into your backstory. So I listened to the first minute of the podcast you did with uh, 614, 416? Engage 416, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, where do you want to start tell a story? I, I really like to tell people that I how I grew up okay. because I think it's important um, 
that people know. I grew up in on a a hobby farm. My dad worked really hard. He owned his own business. My parents are still married after 45 years, happily today. Um, and and I have a brother, and he played hockey, and I rode horses, and I was in the barn like seven days a week. Wow, outdoorsy. Yeah. Nice. I, I used to ride competitively. Um, oh, wow. And, um, th- like, I got kicked out of the barn that I rode at, and after riding from the time I was two until I think it was 13 or 14 when um, we had a disconnect and I was actually removed from the show barn that I worked for and rode for. Okay. Um, it, it was sort of like a weird breakdown. I don't really know exactly what happened. It just, okay. um, I ended up being there anymore. Okay. Um, so yeah, when I, when I got kicked out, it was like I lost my entire identity. Right. And so I was going into high school and I hadn't, I, I didn't know who I was anymore because seven days a week wow. I was a rider. Yeah. And then I just had nothing to fall back on. And my parents had always encouraged me to be in the barn, not realizing that how difficult it would be if I didn't have it anymore. And then I started hanging out with a, a horrible crowd in high school. Um, right. How does that happen? Like, were you trying to fit in? Yeah. I was just trying to find somebody that would accept me. Yeah. Because I lost um, all my friends at the barn. I lost, um, I didn't want to ride anymore because it hurt. I was yeah. like, what do I do now? Yeah, you were emotionally hurt, right? It was like you were so connected with that place. Yeah, right. very, very much so. And then, uh, so I started hanging out with a really rough crowd. I started drinking. I started smoking cigarettes. I started um, smoking marijuana. <laughs> Um, and when I was 15, I went to a house party and I was sexually assaulted by multiple people. And that was my first introduction to, um, sex. Um, and I had gone to the police and I know now that it wasn't their intent, but what they had said is if I was lying, I could be charged. Mm -hmm. So when I had gone to them to provide a statement, that was what I received. So I couldn't remember the, the, the assault. Oh. So I was terrified that I would, right. I, like, I don't know what happened. I just know that I had woken up. Was there an option back? I don't know how long that ago that is, but like nowadays women can go to the hospital, right? Yeah. So I had, um, it's a, there's a better name for it. It's a sexual assault kit. Yeah. And I had one done and it was confirmed that there was, um, there was an assault. Um, but, again, without being able to tell them exactly what happened. Oh, wow. And at 15, and, and I had um, I had to take like a cocktail of antibiotics and stuff. It's just what that kind of test and that kit they want you to take so that you can't, mm-hmm. um, or at least as a preventative from getting any transmitted diseases and stuff like that. So um, that's all I knew. Okay. Was, because I, I was actually roofied. Um, oh. So I had no recollection. Oh wow! But they um, could prove that too, right? In the in your blood. Yeah. So there's um, thousands of different combinations of things that people can use. Yeah. So to narrow it down is unless it's specifically like one or two different things, it was going to be really difficult. Oh, wow. Okay. Um. So I, I didn't. All I knew was that I had gone to a party with who I thought was friends, right. and I woke up the next morning. And uh, when my mom picked me up, I felt horrible. Mm-hmm. 
And I knew that I was hurting, but I couldn't figure out what had happened. So then I went home and I went to the bathroom. There's just blood everywhere. And that's when I went to the hospital. And then we went to the police and they were, it wasn't their intent to discourage me to come forward, but that's how I took it at 15. Right. It's a very unbelievable situation to be put in. Mm -hmm. Right. So then from there, I I started drinking more. I started, um, yeah, I started uh, smoking more weed, smoking more cigarettes, drinking a lot more, partying harder. (laughs) And that is because... I never really um, was able to talk to anybody about the assault. Right. And you think that's because there was not enough support? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. My my parents were wonderful with the information they had, but I sort of shut myself off from the world at that point. It's also shame, right? Mm-hmm. Probably like feeling like, what what did I do? Yeah. Yeah. And then in a small town, it gets around and... Um, okay. I mean, there was, there was only so few people at that party. So if they were friends with those people, I mean, I remember walking to my bus one day and some girl yelled out, you can't rape the willing to show how mean high school kids can be. That was, that was what some people were screaming at me. That's crazy. Um, so from there, I, uh, um, I actually was drinking quite heavily, um, around 16, 17. What does that mean? Like lots? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like it was rare for me to be sober in school. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. It was, it was pretty horrible. I can't, I don't know how my parents put up with me. It was, mm. it was just a bad, bad time for them and, and me. Um, and then I met my daughter's father who was significantly older than me uh, mm. by nine years. And I got pregnant very quickly. Um, nine months into the, like I was nine months, nine months pregnant when I found out that I was um, actually with somebody who is a, a cocaine addict, okay. um, which is not something that I had ever dealt with as much as I had experienced with marijuana and alcohol. I'd never had anything harder than that. Yes. So recognizing the signs at my age was like, it wasn't going to happen. Um, uh, okay. So uh, because of his age and stuff like that, I, I just didn't put it together until um, I was a, I was like eight and a half months pregnant or something. Oh. So I stayed with him for approximately a year and then we separated. Um, and because of his addiction, he was unable to see my daughter, like unable to see Rihanna anymore. Right. Um, and then I decided I needed to kind of straighten my life out. Um, so she was approximately two, two or three years old when I started going back to school for police foundations. Yeah. Um, You've got to be in pretty good shape for that, right? Yeah. Yeah. How did you do that? Um, I was always very active, like like you grew up on the farm. I I was always like, I call it farm girl fit where I have like a lot of upper body strength and and stuff like that from throwing hay bales. But, um, at that time, no, I didn't. Um, so I had to start running and, which was probably traumatizing for anybody trying to watch that because a newborn calf, but you did the ping test too, right? The, the, is it the ping test? The one that you have to get to level seven? Yeah, the yeah. it's the beep test. The yeah, beep test, that's what it was. Yeah, yeah. How did they, that's that's challenging. It was. It was. Um, it was definitely difficult, and I think um, I think I'd have a better chance at it now. Oh, to be honest okay. with you, oh. you <laughs> I think train, I'd do better. Yeah, you train every every day. No, I train um, five da- usually five days a week. Okay. Um, my my trainer's actually Regan. Right. Um, and his, uh, well. 
I met Regan through Chelsea, who's my nutritionist. Okay. And she, she's at Nourished, and um, they've kind of changed everything for me now. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I don't think they even know how much they've been able to help me on this process that I'm kind of on. That's big support. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah, when I left Rihanna's dad, I went back to school, and I, I started trying to change my life around. I got three different jobs, and one of them was working in a... Let me ask you one more question real quick. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you, was it easy to get away from that relationship for you and be safe? He was um, he was emotionally abusive and financially abusive. And there was small, like, physical abuse, but not, 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 comparatively not horrific. Um, it, it was more, I had to make a choice uh, for Rihanna. And at that time, it was... It wasn't easy, but it wasn't hard. So having a child helped you ultimately a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it, what happened? You felt like... Um, I, I didn't grow up like that. My parents, there was never... They're so loving. We ate dinner together at 5 o'clock every night. Right. Um, so like to, to raise a child in that environment that I was currently in with yeah. her... Um, what wasn't acceptable right. to me. That's I didn't grow up that way, and mm-hmm. and I didn't want her to experience that. Yes. Yeah. So did you just pack the bags and disappeared? <clears throat> I well, I went back and lived with my parents for a while, and then they um, yeah, for sure. They ended up actually purchasing a house in southern Ontario for uh, my grandmother and my uncle and myself. So like okay. there was an upstairs apartment and a downstairs apartment. Beautiful. Yeah, so we all, um, we lived there so I could kind of hang out with my grandmother too. And Yeah, single mom, right? That's pretty tough. Yeah, and that's where I was going to school in the area. They bought the house and I was working down there. So it kind of worked out really well um, at that time anyways. So you, so there's, I can say that's trauma, right? In your childhood and teenager years, that's all trauma or how would yeah. you classify that? It's trauma. Yes. Yeah. So in a general term, what yeah. like, you know, yeah. how people throw those terms around. But I was, it's absolutely unimaginable. And, you know, you, you get out of it, you have a child, and then you opt to help people. Because that's like, in police work is for the community, right? I, I, to serve yeah. and protect. Yeah. And that's why I took police foundations was I just wanted i've always wanted to help people but i never really knew which outlet to go like where which which journey to take to be able to do it mm-hmm. um to satisfy that need um and then um the next part of my life actually formed that and and how i proceeded which was um what like one of the jobs that i was working uh, was a owned by a gentleman that I became romantically involved with. Um, and for the first year, it was the best year of my life. Um, he was so kind, but he he also held me, or at the time, what I thought, to a higher standard. So um, dressed a certain way. My nails always had to be done. Um, and if it wasn't, I just wasn't allowed to go. He was like, hold yourself, like, hold yourself to a higher standard. Be better. Do better. <laughs> In a good way? I thought it was at the time. Okay. I, I thought it was at the time. Yes. So, um, 
yeah, I, I, he would pay to get my nails done. Um, he's like, eat better, take care of yourself, do better. Um, and then I would take him out to my parents' farm and show him around and I would bring his friends out and he was from Toronto, like in that area. Um, and I would bring them out to my parents' farm and show them around because I just thought it was a bunch of city boys wanting, or wanting to see country life and we'd go on tours of around that area. Um, but over time, I slowly lost my friends because I was so focused on him. Okay. Um, to give you an idea of how much power he had over me, there was a specific night where it was like 2 a.m. and he owned, um, he owned a security company. So we did... Um, security and clubs, but we also did private security for artists coming into Toronto. And on this particular night, we left uh, a bar and we drove probably 15 minutes across the GTA. Um, and there was probably like eight sets of lights, I would say. And he was like, just go right through, just drive right through them. And I drove through eight red lights and I didn't stop. Like he, I was like, okay, well, if, if he wants me to put this kind of faith in him, I guess I will. Yeah. And that's the kind of... Um, terrifying power he had over me even six months or two months in i think it was it wasn't even that long right how does that happen like like human wise is that like a trust thing yeah like after so after the sexual assault and being with um my daughter's dad uh i just needed somebody to love me yes i needed somebody to tell me that i was beautiful and that i was going somewhere in life and that they were proud of me and that's all i needed Mm. and um it's crazy i wanted love so bad I just wanted somebody to love me and he, he really presented that way. Mm -hmm. So if he was going to give me that one thing that I needed, plus tell me that I'm worth more than the way I was treating myself, I will give him everything. Mm -hmm. And I did. And, uh, so about a year into our relationship, we were, um, going to a, we were driving a, an artist to a concert. She had flown in um, from out of the country and we were taking her to, um, it was like an hour and a half drive away from where I lived and probably about three hours away from where my parents lived. Um, So we got pulled over by the police and he got a ticket and I looked at, he passed it. He just kind of threw the ticket at me. And up until this point, our relationship had been in my eyes, amazing. Okay, I thought he was like, really anal retentive about things he really wanted. But I was like, okay, well, mm-hmm. again, show me that you love me and I'll, I'll do what I can for you. So um, he, the name on the ticket that he had received was not the name that I knew him by. Uh, and uh, shit. yeah, <laughs> so exactly. I'm sitting on the road like, oh, <laughs> mm-hmm. like, it, um, so I didn't say anything because we have this girl who's an, like a, a famous artist in the back of our car. I can't call him out on this right now. So we get to the hotel and that night I asked him, I'm like, who are you? Like, what is happening? And um, he physically assaulted me so bad that there was blood on the ceiling. There was blood on the walls. There was blood. The duvet was red. Um, I was deformed. Like my face was unrecognizable. Um, he broke most of my ribs. Um, did you pass out? Yeah. So okay. I, he, he assaulted me for so long that I passed out and came to, and it was still happening. Oh no. Yeah. And then I was stuck there for a weekend with him because, Shit. 
Yeah, and I couldn't leave the hotel room because I was so, there, there was no hiding it. I had bruises in my ears, on my forehead, on my chin. like Everywhere. Yeah, I couldn't, I could hardly breathe because my ribs were so damaged. Um, so, so you didn't get any medical attention? No. So um, while we were there, over the weekend, he was so apologetic. He's like, I'm sorry, like, I, I don't know what came over me. I'm scared, like, that you won't love me for who I am and blah, blah, blah. And I got roped back in and I was terrified <laughs> about what I had gotten myself into. <laughs> and ha having never experienced something so severe, I, I just kind of gave in to him. Um, again, partially because he was the first one who had ever kind of really shown me that I, I deserve more and that I deserve to be loved, even though it was a lie. It, it was hard to accept that at the time. I understand. So then uh, I found out shortly after that that he was actually the member of a gang and all the people that I had brought to my parents' house were members. Um, over the next, it, it was probably about two years um, he uh, he would bring them up to my parents' farm. There was a plan to take over my parents' farm as a, a grow operation. Um, I was forced to um, move substantial amounts of drugs. Um, like I would pull up to a, a building and, and just be told to show up, pop my trunk. They would load up and I would drive it to a different location. Um, and... If I didn't do certain things or I wasn't a certain way or, or I didn't act a certain way, the assaults got worse and worse. Um, I've been burned. I've, he used to sit on me and break my fingers and toes. Um, he would, I, I'm, I'm branded. I have a tattoo. Um, yeah. So I, over the, the two years, it took me to figure out how to get away from him. So you, met a, you made a plan and you knew you couldn't tell anything. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So the threat to my daughter's life was constant. Um, the threat to my life was never ending. Yeah. Um, I was terrified I was going to lose my parents' farm that they had worked for for so long. Yeah, right. Um, and during that time, I lost. I didn't lose my parents, but I lied all the mm -hmm. time. Like a, you, you can trust a thing that came out of my mouth because I was constantly stealing and lying. And you were trying to survive. Mm hmm. Which. I, I never told anybody. Um, I just pushed everyone away because I, I couldn't worry about them too. <laughs> and I couldn't worry about their opinion. And, and everyone's like, the, the question you've, you get a lot is, why didn't you just leave? Mm. It's not that easy. <laughs> yes. Um, so, uh, yeah. I Because everything is taken away from you, right? Mm -hmm. You just... You you are you are not independent. No, I was I was very isolated and and fear mm -hmm. fear is a very powerful <laughs> motivator. Um, so I would just the assaults. Some of them are indescribable. Um, the sexual assaults. Uh, to this day, I still can't talk about some of the things that happened, um, just because it hurts that another human being would do that to another. Mm -hmm. um, so I ended up, um, which is, is not an option to anybody else. But back in the day when I was doing it, I didn't know a lot about human trafficking and I didn't, 
I wasn't aware of the resources and the resources weren't necessarily there like they are today. Um, so I, um, actually used one of my best friends growing up, uh, is heavily involved in another gang and I went to them and I got to live with them and that's how I got out. Um, because of my, because I grew up with him, my situation was slightly different and that's how I was able to get out, but it's not an option to everybody. So I don't really, I kind of graze over that part of the story because I don't want kids or, or people to think that if you just go to another group of people, they're going to help you because usually it's just a bigger fire. So there was a personal connection. Mm-hmm. Very, very personal, um, very personal from like a young age. So okay. we, that's how I was able to get out. Um, I went that route. People say, why didn't you just go to the police? And my experience with police um, mm. from the sexual assault um, and and a couple times with my daughter's dad, I felt let down. Mm. Um, so I didn't go that route. And and the stories that I was told by by the guy I was with at the time and, and some of the members he, he associated with was that even some of them were police officers, which I, I know not to be true, mm. but at that time, do you really want to call their bluff? No. <laughs> so, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I, I did the only thing that I, I thought I could save everything, which was go to a different gang, mm. <laughs> a big, like a bigger, batter, whatever you want to call it. Um, I got to live with them, uh, for appro approximately six months while my, um, while my body healed, because when I went there, it was, um, I was a pretty big mess. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I wouldn't be able to work. Um, you'll notice like it's part of my face is like offset type thing. And, mm -hmm. and just like, so there was a lot of healing involved with okay. that process. Um, and when I was finally out, it took a couple of years and I decided to move away from Southern Ontario, um, because I just never felt like I was ever going to be able to move on or feel like I didn't have to always look over my shoulder. Um, and I did, and I came to Thunder Bay and it was then that I realized there was a term that I had, like I was actually trafficked and I, I was used for drug trafficking. But until then, I had no idea. I thought I was just like in a really bad domestic relationship. Right. But there's actually terms for it. And I realized there's so many services that are there to help people in that exact situation. Um, there's so much funding provided by the government um, to, to try and get rid of it or at least minimize it. Mm -hmm. um, so I became involved uh, with victim services, which is, I can never, uh, I can never advocate for them enough. They are just so powerful with what they do. Um, and now I get to go around and I get to talk about it, but this, there's been so many things that I've learned along the way about healing and about how good ways to heal and maybe not <laughs> good ways to heal. Mm -hmm. Um, but, and one of them what was, that, what does that mean? Uh, the good ways and not so good ways. Mm -hmm. Um, I realized that I, um, when I was working for victim services, I, I can be too involved. I get too invested. Okay. So as much as it helped me, it, it cost me as well. Mm -hmm. And I had to find different outlets because it just, um, 
I just got way too invested. <laughs> yes. I, I don't, I, I want to help people. Mm-hmm. And when it doesn't always work out, it's really hard. Right. Because you can't control it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and th- so th- through what I'm doing now, I get to talk to family members and, and people involved in it and at-risk youth um, in Southern Ontario. And um, it's provided a lot of help for me and and show me how I need to do what I'm doing just to heal. Um, yeah. But the, as far as like physical injuries, I, I see an osteopath now that's been able to kind of piece me back together. Right. Um, yeah. And she's, she's done wonders, but up until about a couple of years ago, I couldn't even go to a dentist oh, to, wow. because just the, the touching my face would <laughs> set me off. Okay. So like emotionally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's learning what I, what I can do and what I can't do and learning what sets oh, me off and what okay. doesn't set me off. So you're setting off. You mean you go in protection mode? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I got a tooth pulled, not realizing how, uh, not even thinking. Mm. So I'd been able to go to the dentist for about a year and, and I went to my dentist. She had to pull a tooth and she pulled it and I could hear the cracking in the blood. And I was, I melted. It triggered. Yeah. Yeah. I melted in her chair and she thought she had hurt me. And I was like, yeah. no, I just need a minute. Stop. So learning things like that and learning how to articulate that to other people that have been through it. Mm. Like you may not be able to go to a dentist yet, but go and talk to somebody because eventually you will be able to get there. Okay. Small, like weird, small things that you just never yes. would, would even think about. Yeah. They, mm-hmm. they do that with soldiers too, right? They come back and they hear a loud bang and it sounds like something and then they get triggered. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you, I like the part where you said, you know, you didn't even know what was happening after you got out because you know, from the outside, people are very judgmental. Mm-hmm. People assume things that, you know, just, just like people always have a preconception of people panhandling, mm-hmm. right? We, do, we don't know that we don't know what that person is doing there. No, we don't know their life and it's easy to judge. Yeah. Yeah. And what was it for you? Like ultimately what was for you? How did you realize that you had to get out. I might have already asked that, but I just wanted to follow up on this. And like, what was more important for you? Was it you or your daughter? And like, you know, like was your survival more critical than your child? No. Um, because when things were going on, I was pretty, pretty good at getting her to my parents. Okay. Um, and they would, I think they would get frustrated because I just wouldn't show up for a couple of days. Mm-hmm. I would say, oh, I'll be there tomorrow. And I wouldn't show up because I had been assaulted again and I didn't want them or her to see me like that. Okay. Um, so primarily her, but the last time he assaulted me, um, he, he was a bigger guy. He was way bigger than I am. Um, and he picked me up my, by my throat and he, lifted me into the air and then he 
dropped me back on my head and knocked me unconscious. And he said to me, I thought you were dead. And he was like, I've been sitting here. And I can't remember how long I was out for, but for, for however long, he was like, I've been sitting here the whole time wondering what I was going to tell the police. <laughs> and um, I knew then, because every time after an assault, he, he would always apologize. And there was like this, um, this, it would be a brutal assault. And then he'd be the one that helped me heal, which was super weird. Um, and, and the fact that I let him, I, I just had nobody else around me. Right. So there'd be times where I couldn't see, um, because my eyes were, would, would be so swollen shut and he'd be the one that would take care of me, even though he was the one that did it. Um, so the last assault was the one that really hit me. Like he will kill me. Okay. He will actually <laughs> kill me. And because he doesn't care, he wasn't concerned like, oh my God, I killed you. He was like, what am I going to tell the police? And it hit me like he's going to kill me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. And yeah. then that's, that was it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There had always been a plan to, tr to get out, but that's the one that, that made it, that activated it. There was always that, um, after like the first year and then there's two more years of it. So, um, I realized like six months after the first assault that I had that I had to figure this out and that I wasn't going to be able to do it. Um, it wasn't going to be easy. Um, and then that last assault was the one that was like, okay, I can't wait any longer because I, I don't know how many more of these I can actually take. <laughs> and then you just disappeared? Um, no, because I still stayed in the same city. Um, I just became kind of untouchable. Okay. with where I went um, because as I just wasn't worth it to start the fight that would have started between the two different. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I was, he would still follow me sometimes um, and I would, I would have to like boogie to a, like a safe house type place. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't just get to disappear but I kind of drew that line in the sand that I was no longer mm -hmm. touchable. Okay. Mm -hmm. Did that feel good? Um, yeah. It, it took a while to feel like I wasn't... Um, it took a while to get used to it. Did you sleep at all? Was sleeping easy for you? No, and I still, I still don't sleep a lot. Okay. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I still don't sleep a ton. Um, yeah, usually I'll sleep, uh, two to four hours and then I'm up. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. You take naps or no? Not usually. Okay. No. Okay. Um, and it, it has gotten better over time. Like now it's probably more like I'll sleep four hours and then I can actually sleep for a couple more after I wake up. Okay. Um, whereas back then it was like two hours was, was good. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you went to Thunder Bay. I actually moved out west first. Okay. Uh, but I moved out there during a recession. <laughs> mm. So there was no jobs. Um, when was that? 
2008, 2009, 10? No, it was uh, f- uh, 2012? 15. 15, okay. Yeah. All right. Like it was th- that beginning of the weird oil, something was going on out there. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So I ended up, uh, the person I was with at the time, um, he lived in Calgary and he said that all his family lives in Thunder Bay and he was going to come back as a mature student. So we moved. I was like, well, I got nothing going on here. Um, as much as I don't really want to be in Ontario, mm. I think I'm far enough removed in Thunder Bay that <laughs> I'll be okay. Um, and that's how we ended up here. Okay. Mm-hmm. You like it here? I love it. Okay. Yeah. I can't say enough good things about Thunder Bay. What do you like about it? The community. Okay. Um, I think we just survived COVID and the resources thrown and how much this community came together. It's true. Um, I actually worked at the isolation shelter for St. Joe's. Okay. And watching all of the community partners come together to make that happen um, and make sure the transient population and people who didn't have a place to isolate, that alone was so incredible to see. Watching how much we all come together and we can pull together and work together to make this such a better place is inspiring. And I love Thunder Bay for that. Okay. Yeah. What is happiness for you? Um, <laughs> I don't know yet. Mm. I, I love getting to do this. This makes me happy as hard as it is to talk about. I love being able to provide resources and, and hope to people. Right. Um, if you're asking me where my happy place is right now, it'll either be hanging out with my daughter or hanging out at the gym because I've learned that I do need, um, I do need that in my life. Right. What is it? What is the gym for you? Um, well, I have, uh, I have been diagnosed with PTSD, um, and I do have to manage that to an extent. Um, so it's an outlet. Is it ever, is it considered to be like, you can heal that or is it always going to stick around? I don't know the definition if it's like, you know, with mental health, especially like depression, for example, some people have childhood trauma and it's changes the brain chemistry, right? Mm-hmm. So you are a different person, you no matter what, right? Yeah. So I will, I don't think I, you, I will ever be healed. Um, I, so part of my PTSD is I have um, anger management, which it's not like I go off and you know, beat people. That's, it's nothing like that. Right. I just kind of hover at, um, at a higher level. Mm-hmm. So most people walk out their door and they're sitting at a zero for anger, but because it, it's always sitting at around like a 40 to 50%. So I'll hit a hundred percent anger <laughs> rate a lot quicker than the average person. Really? Yeah. Okay. So, um, I found that, um, actually through osteo without the pain that I was living with for a long time, um, that's helped um, exponentially. Um, eating healthier um, has helped. And then getting into the gym is actually like a, that physical release has helped um, beyond words. Because you exhaust yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's just somewhere to go where I can be mindless and I, I can 
like just get that energy out mm-hmm. yeah and you feel better yes yeah yeah and is it also because you say mindless meaning you can disconnect right mm-hmm. yeah yeah is that easy for you um no it's not nothing it doesn't come easy for me i'm kind of a. I always have to be on the go um right you keep yourself occupied all the time yeah so i've had uh two and a half full-time jobs crazy for over two years now Wow. <laughs> so I, yeah i work um a lot and i'm always on the go and so for me to be able to disconnect and slow down enough to go to the gym is <laughs> like <laughs> pulling teeth I understand. Let me ask you this. What would happen if you would slow down? Um, I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know because it, um, part of m- my survival and, and how I deal with things is never stopping. And when I stop, I, it doesn't feel good. It yeah. feels like I, I have too much time to think. It comes over you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I feel that I cannot relate if anything what you say and what you have experienced, but mm-hmm. I can, if I, for me, it's if I have too much time, then I feel like I don't have a purpose. Yeah. I, I need to be achieving something. Mm-hmm. I'm chasing a goal. I'm chasing what I want out of life. I'm chasing, um, get constantly getting better. And I know, um, people will say I need, I need to talk to a therapist and, and I do. Um, do you find a good one? I, yeah. Good. Tell me, did you find the first one was the right one or did you go through a couple and checked it out? (laughs) Um, I've, I've gone through a couple. Good. Yeah. That's important to me because sometimes you have that perception. You, you find some, you go to one appointment and you, maybe you give it another one and maybe it doesn't click. And you still go. It's good to f- to experience different people, right? Yeah. And and not everybody jives. Not every personality. It doesn't mean either of you are bad people or anything like that. It just means that's not the one for you. Don't give up on it. <laughs> Do you think age matters in that? Like, you know? Is- yeah. I think, um, like, I'm uncomfortable. Um, originally, I was actually, uh, they told me to go to... Um, group counseling <laughs> and for, really? and I just I would never do that because I don't think I, I would hate to go in to somewhere and s- say what happened to me and then other people who have been through something horrific but haven't been burned or tattooed by somebody feel like their their story doesn't matter or anything like that or feel less and and I wouldn't want to also traumatize them with my Mm-hmm. <laughs> with my story yeah um so uh, and not to say group counseling is not a really good place it just wasn't going to be okay for me i never would have been comfortable um talking about anything really in in that environment just based on what i needed to talk about yeah and that has changed now mm-hmm. yeah you 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 worked would you say on yourself first and then now you you you're opening up 
Is that correct? Or you can correct me. Yeah, no, I, it took a, a long time. And again, through um, victim services, I realized that what had happened to me. And then I, I worked with many um, survivors of human trafficking and who had also maybe not realized the situation they were in. And then I realized there was a niche. But I realized through victim services that I had a lot of work to do on myself yeah. because I just get so invested. Um, mm. So I got to, um, uh, that's when I started going to therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when I started realizing that I had to do, become active. Um, right. Yeah. So I worked in a, at a horse farm for many years oh, okay. after that. Yeah. And that was my original therapy, outlet. Therapy. Therapy? Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Oh. You go, you get to see something um, being done right away. Sometimes that's all you need. Shoveling crap. <laughs> you can so. see it cleaned out. Yeah, At least it, you've achieved something. But it also brings you back to childhood, right? Mm-hmm. For, your, for yeah. your specific case. Yeah. Yeah. Would you be able to talk to people there? Um, no, I, I like going there to be alone. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's important to know. Yeah. Yeah. I right. enjoyed being, a, I do, um, I do enjoy being alone. Okay. Which isn't, some people like being around crowds and, and some people like being alone and I'm just, I can be around both, but I, mm. I have some really amazing people that I like to hang around and, and if it's not with them, I'm okay being by myself too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You have your support and then what do you do when you're by yourself? I read. Okay. A lot. Nice. Yeah. What's the latest book you read? Uh, honestly, it's Smut. <laughs> Which one is it? It's Smut. Is it good? Oh, yeah, it's very good. And I can't remember. Oh, the you got to look this up. Is it like a fiction book? No, this you don't want to look this up on your... Okay, don't yeah, do Yeah, don't do it. Okay. It's like... It's probably like Fifty Shades of Grey or something. Like, oh, okay. I can't remember the name yeah, of you it. Go. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I told you to ask me anything. I don't know if you want the answer. Yeah. <laughs> I always like those books with the guys on it, right? With the, is that those books? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There okay. you go. Yeah. Yeah. Mo, you know it? <laughs> uh, <good one>. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Oh, there you go. Is it a new one? No, it's not. Well, it's not called Smut. It's oh. just like, a, it's probably like the Sylvia Day one, I think. I have a whole, si- I have like a million of them. Okay. Yeah. I think that's the last one in the series. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my smut. What, do, what does it do for you? Nothing. It just takes me away. Okay. Yeah, like I don't have to. Um, I also like historical romances. So mm-hmm. everybody watching right now, I'm a total geek that way. Um, and it just brings me to a different place. Right. Yeah. Do movies trigger you? Um, yeah, I can't watch. Everybody's like, you need to watch Yellowstone. You need to watch Yellowstone. Mm-hmm. I can't watch that kind of violence. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My daughter will be like, yeah, okay, well, we can't watch this today. And we'll just start flipping through channels for me because I, mm-hmm. yeah. I watch Golden Girls. Mm-hmm. It's like a, <laughs> a fairly safe show. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah. That's crazy. Because, you know, you, 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 you live and you, you make it work. Very much so. Yeah. Yeah. It's you are a survivor. Yeah. Yeah. And I want people that are going through anything, whether it's um, 
sexual assault or domestic violence or human trafficking, whether it's drug or sex or whatever. Um, I want them to know that there's people out there. Like this isn't your forever. It's just your for now. Mm. You can really, um, there's so many people out there that want to help you. And if I can get that message out to even just one person, I'll be happy. Yeah. And I think it's changing too, right? There's more and more support. Mm -hmm. Most police services have their own, um, uh, like a survivor specialist. I think it's the the title. What is that? It's like a, it's a victim services worker, essentially, where they um, can come in and provide resources to you, to various... um, organizations in in your area that will help you in your situation because unfortunately police like that's not their job their job is law okay and people have this misunderstanding that their job is to help you too but Mm -hmm. it's really not there's a there's a divide right so there's the legal aspect of it and the criminal aspect of it which is police and that's where they step in. And then what happens to you afterwards, that's, that's uh, not them. Okay, so it's like a hospital. If a woman gives birth, then you have the child, and then you go leave the hospital, and then you bring the baby to a doctor. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So they're, they're um, like survivor specialists and victim services workers are there to provide resources. So whether that's um, referrals to... Um, victim services like it's to access funding for counseling or getting your locks changed or um onwa or multicultural center or lisa uh, centrale or, or or one of the organizations in town that will help you based on your circumstance um that's what they're there for yeah we have a house in town too that's exclusively just for women right how does what do they call that a safe house yeah, so there's um, there's Bean Dekin, there's Faye Peterson, um, Bean Dekin, Faye Peterson, um, Urban Abbey. Okay. Uh, like, any of those places mm-hmm. um, provide shelter. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what the circumstances are to get into them. Like, don't call me on that. But, right. but I know, uh, um, like, through police, through the survivor services, through victim services, you can, you can access them. So is that like your phone number? Yeah. Um, and, and again, most police services actually have human trafficking units and domestic violence units and sexual assault units. We have that here in Thunder Bay too? Mm -hmm. Okay. And the, and the officers are phenomenal that work in those units. Um, and you can tell their hearts are in it. It's, Mm. it's not a job. It's a, again, it's like doing this for me. Yeah, they work for it, but their hearts are in it. Um, and they're in those specialized units because they want to be. So... Yeah, they they are phenomenal, and again, I've I've sat on your show. I've told you I moved copious amounts of un, unknown drugs, and I've done that in Toronto. And I've talked to police about it, and it it talked to them. And if like, yeah, I have to pay the piper. Um, I can never work in a police service, but um, I was I I won't be charged because I was a victim. I wasn't mm-hmm. wasn't doing it willingly. Um, which I think is kind of a deterrent for some people to come forward because they think what they've done is so horrific that they will go to jail or they'll lose their children or whatever. And circumstances, yeah, but 
talk to them because most of the time they want to help you out. They're not out to get you. Right. It's good to know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what happened with you then? You, you, they, like, did you go to the police then? No, I never went to the police. Okay. Um, but when I started coming out with my story, uh, I did my first podcast with Engage 416 back in November. And before we went, um, and we were, before we videoed, I said, listen, like, (laughs) Mm. I don't want to get arrested after this. Okay. Um, so if I'm going to tell me now <laughs> and I and I flat out told him what I had done and he was like yeah like no because of your circumstances right like you it's not like you were a willing participant it was trafficking mm-hmm. and yeah so they left it in in the podcast mm-hmm. okay yeah yeah was it, it edited at all or no no that's good no yeah no yeah, he has a good show going on hey yeah he Sean does. Sean Jarris um he's the Engage 416 project, they actually, um, I think it was. Um, Just trying to pull up this profile. Yeah, uh, TPS uh, Shreki. Yeah. <laughs> My smart books. There he is. That's his last name? Why is it Shreki? I, okay, well, I think it's because I think his nickname's Shrek. Okay. I'm just going to throw it out there. I, like Shrek Shrek from the movie? <laughs> yeah. <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's a good nickname. Um, and he has so many um, really cool people come on to his podcast too, just from... Mm. Um, Daily live stream at 9 a.m. Yeah. That's crazy. He has like... Uh, yeah, he has different people come on from like school boards and different officers and um, like... I think he's had a couple of Olympians on there. He's had like, mm-hmm. it's more about like how to get where you want to go in life. And it doesn't matter where you're at right now. Um, you can really do anything you want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so they asked you to be on? Yeah. Nice. I've been on it uh, three, three times oh, now. Oh, wow. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. Yeah. Last time was live. So yeah, which was nerve wracking for the first time. But Yeah. Mm-hmm. How's it today? It's not bad. Okay. It gets easier every time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The first time I think I was shaking, I was probably sweating profusely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> the first time I did did the live show too, I was like, this is stressful. <laughs> yeah. I can't even imagine. Regan is in the chat. He says hi. Lisa says hi. Lisa's my wife. And then the dog classroom is waving a hand too. Hey, everyone. <laughs> you know, that's absolutely... You know, I have huge respect and you must be a very, very strong woman. Oh, thank you. To like, you know, choose what you chosen to do every day now. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's, a lot of people are struggling, right? Mm-hmm. And I think now more than ever, especially with mental health too. Yeah, I think um, as hard as it is to talk about, I think I needed to do something with it to make it okay for me and to make it make sense. Um, Because I'm a firm believer that you like everything for a reason. And this is one time in my life where I couldn't, like even when I I had my daughter, her dad wasn't um, a stellar contributing member of society. Um, But I, I had her. 
So that was the reason. Um, when I got kicked out of the barn, um, I think I was too attached to riding and I, I needed to find myself. And although I didn't go down the right path to do it, I think it was, it was my chance to kind of figure out who I actually was. Um, and I had fallen out of love with riding because of how hard it was. Um, just my coach was a pretty hard person to deal with. So, okay. so I guess that would be when you asked me why that was it is I had fallen out of love with it because of how difficult the situation was. Also um, abusive or no? Um, yeah, borderline. Okay. Yep. For, for an 11 year old. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was, I was called an embarrassment if I failed, mm -hmm. but like if I didn't do well at a show, she called me an embarrassment for an 11 year old. That was like mm -hmm. pretty hardcore. Right. That's <laughs> a lot of pressure. It, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, so now I, I just get to make what happened make sense and I needed to help people in order to help me make it make sense in my mind. Why is that to make sense that you just like, why does, why does that make a difference for you to I, heal you? You help others. Yeah. So I think when you had asked me, um, if I had been through different counselors or, and if like age had made a difference and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I, I feel as though had I not been through everything that I had been through, I wouldn't have been able to help some of the, some of the human trafficking victims or the domestic violence victims, because I, I feel it on a different level. Somebody who maybe hasn't experienced it. Mm -hmm. I don't want to take away from somebody who's, um, who's highly educated or, or been working in the field or, mm -hmm. you know, life experiences and everything. But I definitely, definitely think that it was a contributing factor for me to be able to communicate on a different level. Is that something you can see? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, drug addiction, you can see, right? Yeah. Patterns. Like, you can't tell 100%, but you know how people behave. Mm -hmm. Or, like, what's, like, uh, is, like you are you able to, you are not only to able to relate, to be there, but you can also, you probably know more than you get. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and you can see it, and you can see the lies. And one of the biggest things I tell people when they're dealing with somebody that's in that situation, like family of human trafficking or domestic violence or sexual assault victims, is that love them where they're at. And as hard as it is for you, love them where they're at. Don't try and tell them to leave or change or do anything because they're not there yet. Um, when they're ready, they'll come to you. Um, and that's hard for people to understand because human nature is to like reach in and grab when somebody's hurting. Um, but for people in those situations, I was cagey. I was like scrappy. I was angry. I was scared. I stole from my parents all the time. I lied to every single person I met because I was trying to hide so much. I was ashamed. Um, like even the stuff they saw on the surface was nothing compared to what was actually going on in real life and, and in my reality. And, um, my parents were very good. They, but they didn't understand what was going on. That's not the life they knew. And it's certainly not how I was raised. Um, so I really push the love them where they're at. Don't pretend like you know the entire story. And even for me going in and dealing with people who are in a, like a human trafficking situation, I never pretend to know what they're going through because every situation is so vastly different. Um, people who are, are in a sex trafficking situation is something I can never relate to. Um, 
and I would never pretend, but I can relate to certain acts of violence and, and knowing that it's not just, why don't you leave? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I can relate to them on that level. So for people that are aware of situations with people that they care for, being there for them, that's the best as you can do? Yeah. Okay. You d- just don't... It's hard because there was so much shame in in what I was do- like when I was involved with it. So if people were like, why don't you just leave? Or I felt judged, that's when I would push them away. And so yeah. I think a lot of people when they're like, why don't you just leave? Or, you know, you can come and live with us. I don't want your pity. I don't want your, mm. I don't want to feel this way. You have no idea what's happening. Um, and as much as it, looking back, it's nice to have heard that what I needed at the time was, and I love you, call me when you need me. And it to genuinely be said from a place of love. Mm. Yeah. You needed to feel a difference. Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, I, yeah, nobody was going to, nobody was going to be able to pull me out of there until I was good and ready because they didn't realize the threat to my safety and Rihanna's safety and, and my family's safety. So like I had to plan it. I had to make it make sense in my mind. Yes. I had to be ready. And yeah. you could, you probably just had one try to get out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I needed it to count. And so when people are like, just leave or just, they had no idea. They thought he was just, like, even if they suspected he was just abusive, it still wouldn't have been anything compared to what was actually happening. So, right. yeah, I, I just see people trying to pull people out all the time or just, and it, let them come to you, let them build a relationship with you, let them build that trust. Mm-hmm. Um, and eventually they'll reach out to you when they're good and ready. <laughs> so are you in the front line now? No, uh, not right now. Um, I'm actually uh, an ambulance communications officer, so I, ah. yeah, I dispatch for. They call you, or you just what do you do? Like, I'm a, like a nine one one. Yeah, dispatcher for ambulance. So people call you, or you dispatch the ambulances? What do you? I'm, I'm Bo- sorry, I don't both. Understand. So it's just a nine one one operator, essentially, okay. but only for ambulance. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So that's what I do now. So I still kind of get that. I guess I still get to help people. <laughs> yeah. And then I still do um, stuff in Toronto. So I'll, I get to go into um, high schools down there and talk to at-risk youth and yeah. and um, at-risk uh, women and men in certain areas of Toronto, so like Jane and Finch area. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did you, do you feel you save people then? I don't know if I save them, but I definitely feel like I give them... Um, I give them hope yeah. because I of where I'm at in my life now. Mm-hmm. Um, like I own my own house now, which is something like my credit was so bad back then because of everything that had happened. I never th- thought I'd ever be where I am today, but right. um, I worked really hard and, and I like sending that message. Like if you work hard mm-hmm. and you, and you want out, there's always a way. So I think I, I give people hope. I don't know if I've saved anyone, but I, <laughs> I'd like to think I did. But yeah, I, don't, sure. I, I don't know if I have, but... I think every interaction counts, even as little as it is, because we don't know. Yeah. Yeah, a smile and to somebody can make a whole world of a difference. Yeah. Yeah. 
I have to hold. Yeah, no, it's true. 100%. Yeah. I think so. Because people can, like, you know, it makes a difference. Because you look at them, like, if you look them into the eye, you listen, and you're there for them. Yeah. Yeah, it's big. Yeah. Hmm. I love getting to to talk to, to the youth, um, because chances are they either know somebody, um, especially in certain areas of Toronto, um, they, they know somebody or, or are aware themselves of a certain situation and, and being able to provide them with, like, I'm never going to tell you not to do it because I think that's the ultimate go and do it to a youth. Um, but what I will say is know what you're getting yourself into and know how to get out <laughs> and know your resources. So I hope I can provide them with enough tools that if they find themselves in a situation that they can pull themselves out. Mm-hmm. Is that easy for you to go in front of a, is, is it like a classroom or like, how does that work? Um, no, usually it's been like group settings. So, um, they'll have, um, like different grades come in and I, and I try and definitely gauge my conversation around how the, like the age group. So right. <laughs> maybe a little less detail sometimes, yeah. a little more sometimes. Um, but, and then other times it's, um, like a boys and girls club type setting or yeah. Women's groups. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I also really push the fact that it's not just women that this happens to um, with, with the gangs, everybody has a job and oftentimes they're using, um, they're starting to groom young boys from early, early ages um, and bringing them up through the ranks. And I think that's important for people to understand too, that it's not just, it's not just women that this happens to, um, and if that's the only life you know, it's the only life you only know what you know. It's true. Um, so sometimes when I talk to these kids, you can see they're like lights, lights are going on, mm. and I never know if it's a that's happening to me or if it's a I know somebody that's happening too, but at least they know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very powerful. Mm-hmm. So it is, you, I don't want to say you enjoy, do you enjoy that work then? Do you? I love it. Okay. Every second of it. And sometimes it's hard, um, like uh, talking about the assaults. Um, I, I sort of graze over some of the details because sometimes it's hard. It's sometimes it's, uh, you'll see like a physical reaction. I'll start shaking again just because that's, mm-hmm. I don't think that'll ever go away. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I love it because it um, it makes it worth it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It makes it worth it to me. That's how you motivate it? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Okay. Has to make sense to me. And I needed, I needed those years of my life to make sense and, and to understand uh, and to make it and turn it around and use it for good. What would you tell somebody, uh, this is one of the last questions now, what would you tell somebody who thinks they're not worth it? You know, they're, they're having a lot of doubt and like they're trying, but it's not working. Um, 
I would say that um, you have to be worth it for yourself. You have to be the most important person to you. And you have to understand that you can make this world whatever you want it to be. And whatever you want to be is so possible if you think you're worth it. <laughs> you can't rely on somebody else to to make you feel worthy. Um, you can't look for somebody to, to validate you. Um, you have to understand that you're here for a reason and whatever that reason is, it's up to you, but make it worth it. <laughs> okay. Um, and, and if you're ever looking for a resource out, I'm, I'm always available. I would, I would never turn anybody down, but there's so many organizations now everywhere. Um, whether it's multicultural centers or again, victim services is all over Ontario and all, actually all over Canada. Just it, it varies how they um, deliver the program in different provinces. But um, again, each police service, don't call the road guys because they're crazy busy, but, but go to the station and ask to talk to the human trafficking officer or the domestic violence officer or yeah. put a call in directly to those units. Yeah. Um, teachers, counselors at schools, guidance counselors, like everybody has so much training these days for this circumstance or, or various circumstances that you are worthy and they will make sure you know you're worthy, but you have to do it for you. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. I think we're going to leave it off like that. We are way over the hour. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, don't be sorry. You no, got to get home. The, no, I was like, we keep rolling. <laughs> like, I did not feel a time today. I was listening to you, you know, and again, huge respect. And Thank I, you. I do appreciate you letting us be part of, you know, your life for this hour here today and telling your story. I appreciate it. Oh, well, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, yeah. I love being able to get out and, and talk about it. Perfect. We're going to put the links in the description below. Is that like, is that a web page, Victim Services? That's... Yeah. You um, just Google it? Yeah, you can just okay. Google it. Uh, I, every region kind of has their own. Okay. Um, so I think it's Thunder Bay and Area Victim Services here. Okay. Um, and they... Look at my smart box. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Okay. There. So that's www.tbayvictimservices.ca. Yeah. Okay. Um, Thunder Bay Counseling is another one. Uh, they have some phenomenal support systems at Thunder Bay Counseling. Um, yeah. There's just so many incredible resources in Thunder Bay for it. Okay, perfect. Yeah. All right, everybody. Have a good night. And again, thank you so much for being here today. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Everybody have a good night. You take us off the air mode, please. <laughs>